Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, my name is uh, Davion Navarre Henry only, and I'm uh, 15 years old, currently living in a group home because I'm an orphan. I think Davion talks straight and he talks from his heart. He's very simple. The simple plea of, will you take me and love me? Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, short stories. James Tobin, who teaches in the journalism program at Miami of Ohio, says the staff there has been sharing Lane's stories with students for years. Uh, he says it's easy to find long-form stories for them to read, but much harder to find great short stories like so many of Lane's. Although that makes me laugh because many of Lane's stories are really long. But okay. Um, he asked us to do an episode on short pieces, where you look for them, how you structure them, what makes the best ones so good. And he asked if there are other writers of short features Lane especially admires. So James, this episode is inspired by your questions. So maybe we should start by defining a short story. Lane, what do you think? What's short in your world? Short is being about a thousand words. I mean, some of my stories are five, ten, twelve thousand words, but the short stories we have a, um, I guess, a label they put on some of them here at the Times um, called a, um, Encounter, and it basically is a thousand words or less. And I don't know if they still do that for a long time. There was a contest in the some of the contests that were a thousand words or less. So to me, that that kind of marks the the longest short story. We used to have a guy here, Brady Dennis, who did stories in 300 words. Those were great. great. Some of those were terrific. Yeah, yes. I don't know that I could write a story in 300 words, but he, he mastered that format. So that short feature you're talking about is Encounters. So, so talk a little bit about how that evolved and what makes an encounter an encounter. I mean, why did you guys even do that to begin with? I think the push for that was to kind of get more short features on the front page and to tell people that you can write a narrative without having to spend six weeks or six months on it. You can do a quick turnaround. Um, a lot of the encounters are off the news, so they're a little scene piece. Um, and all of them have to have something happen. You know, it can't just be like a thinker or like a reflection on something. They, the, I think the basic framework is that you, need, you need a character, you need a setting, and you need some tension. Something has to happen that can dare be resolved. And you're watching something. You're watching a scene unfold. Yeah, we've done a couple encounters that we kind of recreated, but I would say most of them are things you actually witness as they unfold. What? So, talk about some of your favorite short stories. And I know we, we've got I've got one queued up that I wanted you to read uh, about Valentine's Day. So we could start with that one. Like, talk about this Valentine's story you you found. 
I, I'm always thinking of holiday stories. You know, I know every holiday they're going to want something for the front page, and I feel like that's a pretty easy way for me to get a little short story out of it. So um, I knew Valentine's Day was coming up. I've done every kind of Valentine's Day story I could possibly think of between, like, old people falling in love with a nursing home and maybe a couple falling in love on a soccer team and old and young person falling in love and trying to make that work. And so oh, I think we even did one about a duck one time Valentine's <laughs> Day. Like, just what can we do different from Valentine's Day? So um, I had a friend. The duck I, fell in love with some other duck. <laughs> there were two ducks in love with the duck on the outer banks. Oh, it was a, a love, love triangle. triangle <laughs> <laughs> There's a cool Valentine's story. Cutline, but it was a lovely photo story, actually. But um, yeah, so every year, you know, what's the new Valentine's story you can write? What's the new Mother's Day story you can write? And so. After this story, I had a friend, one of my really good friends had a son who was 12, and uh, he had his crush on this little girl, and um, he decided he was going to go buy her a valentine, and so Shelly was talking to me about, um, oh my gosh, it's hard for a 12-year-old, like, you know, what kind of a valentine is it that doesn't profess your dying love, but it's not stupid, or, you know, so she was agonizing about going to the store with her son to buy this valentine and I was like oh that would be a pretty cool story like right up from the perspective of a, a kid's first valentine that matters anything you know not just the ones you drop in the hat in third grade where everybody gets a valentine so I was set to go with Jacob to go pick up this valentine and Shelly called I pitched it at the paper like oh I got a front page story for valentine's day and we're gonna go this weekend and then Shelly called me on Saturday morning and said oh this little girl she called her worst name <laughs> decided she doesn't like my son anymore and broke up with him and said we're not going to get the valentine and then I was like holy cow what do I do because I promised this story so I did the very um, easy fallback where I sent a Facebook shout out and I said does anybody know anybody who knows anybody who has a, I wanted a boy I thought it would be good from a boy's perspective because I had boys I guess I was just focused on that world but I wanted a boy between 10 and 15 who was going to buy his very first valentine and I probably got like 8 or 9 people within an hour like oh I know someone my neighbor my friend this kid from the baseball team and so I had most of the moms that I was working through on the Facebook to contact the moms and that's how I came to this little guy Austin I didn't know him or his mom they were a Facebook friend of another photographer that used to work here who on my so did you, how do you talk this 12-year-old boy into letting you come along? Because I'm thinking that's the last thing I'd want is you along while I'm picking out cards for Valentine's Day. Yeah, I asked his mom first. I kind of went through the mom, you know, and it was all by phone. And she was like, oh, no, he's into it. He, he's really talkative. He would love to, you know, have you along for the ride. So I, I didn't ever feel like I had to convince him. You know, some of the other boys I kind of vetted. My moms were like, yeah, well, you can try to talk him into it. But, but this, this kid was on board, man. And he was like, you know, 12 going on 40. He was hilarious. So we usually just read a snatch of the story, but this one is not that long. So uh, I was going to ask Lane to just uh, read the whole story about Austin Erickson. Okay, and I should also say this story was, like, reported and written in a day. I, I found the kid, like, on a Sunday night. I went over on a Monday. We went to the uh, Hallmark store for, like, an, I don't even know, a half an hour. And then we went to Starbucks, and I interviewed him. Then I went home to his house with him and interviewed him. Then I read the story. So it was pretty quick. Which, out. getting back, but sorry, just before you jump into the story, though, to, and then when James is talking about what he's telling his students, I mean, you had a really, you have a, you have a focus because it's a holiday story. But even be, be beyond that, you got a tighter focus. You know, you want to do this a particular thing. You want to do this boy picking out this card for the first time, and then you got the kid, and then you're tightening all the way. Each it seems like you're you know you're just making it tighter and tighter, and like okay, now you're going to frame it around that those twenty minutes at the Hallmark store. So I would think that it makes it all much easier to write, and 
you know, into into that short form. Cause, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think it's easier if you know less. You know what right. I mean? Like he, the kid was real talkative. I didn't have to pull up anything out of him. But he was on a quest. You know, like you have a right. quest story. There's something you have to accomplish, and here's your complications along the way that come into play. So right. it's a pretty easy structure. And, and what's going to happen is, is he going to find the right Valentine? Right? Right. That's what's at stake. All right, so it's called the first Valentine. In the passenger seat of his mom's SUV, Austin Erickson sits silently, clutching his wallet, watching as his subdivision slides by. So Publix, asks his mom, turning under the highway. Target? Austin, who is 11, doesn't look at her. The Hallmark store, he says. This has to be special. Normally, Austin hates going to the Hallmark store, waiting for his mom and older sisters to sift through Vera Bradley bags while surrounded by all the candles that are supposed to smell like rain. Normally, Valentine's Day isn't a big deal to the sixth grader who loves Star Wars and Batman and Minecraft. But now that I'm in a relationship, it seems more important, he says Tuesday afternoon. I want to impress Sarah. Sarah. He says her name like a sigh. Her last name starts with a K. He just can't pronounce it. She lives six doors down in a beige house, a lot like his. They met the first day of Seven Springs Middle School at the bus stop. Their courtship started like so many young couples. Quote, I remember the date. It was September 4th, Austin says. Her friend came up to me and said, If Sarah asked you out, would you go? Austin hesitated. He could tell she's smart. That's important, he says. And she has a good sense of humor. Quote, when she laughs, everyone around her can't help laughing. It took a few seconds for him to decide, he says. I'm a very busy person. I swim breaststroke. I'm a green bone in karate. I have church and boy scouts and I get straight A's. And I'm going to go to the University of Florida and be a lawyer. Then he looked at her again. Yeah, I can probably do this. So Sarah's friend told Sarah, and Sarah started giggling her great laugh, and they've been together ever since. Six months, which in middle school, time equals forever. I'm her longest relationship, he says. Max and her only lasted a month. We've been going out all year. They've never actually gone anywhere, not even to each other's homes. Quote, I'm worried about meeting your dad, Austin says. Their relationship revolves around the bus waiting for it, sharing a seat, playing Flappy Bird on her iPod. Sometimes they hold hands. They can't eat lunch together because they have different schedules. Quote, she's an older woman in seventh grade, he says, but we're the same height, so it's okay. After school, they hang out at picnic tables, waiting together for a glorious half hour from 2.50 until 3.20 p.m. Good thing we have the last bus. They talk about their teachers, other kids, his swim team, her little sister, everything really. She brings in peanut butter crackers. They never fight. Why should we? They've hugged, but never kissed. She was the first to say, I love you. We were waiting for the bus, and the school resource officer was giving us a ride in his golf cart, but there weren't enough seats, and I didn't want Sarah to have to stand, he says. So I held on to the back, and she said, Austin, I love you, but you're going to die. She was kidding about me dying, but I'm pretty sure she meant the I love you part. He follows his mom through the parking lot at Mitchell Ranch Plaza into Deb's Hallmark, where stuffed animals grin on tall tables and racks of cards stretch in a red sea of sentiment. I want to get something personal, Austin tells his mom. I mean, I should know her enough to get something she likes. His mom smiles. Well, what is Sarah like? She likes me, says Austin. He's been saving for months. His Christmas money, wages from walking the neighbor's dog. In his black wallet, he has a hundred dollars. You're not going to spend it all on Sarah, says his mom, half asking, half scolding. No, says Austin, but I don't want something that looks like it's been bought on the budget. Austin's mom walked past a croaking frog, a barking dog, both holding stuffed hearts. 
Oh, look at the pig, says his mom. Austin squeezes the pig's foot and it starts dancing to the Cupid shuffle. Now, if they have a cow, I might get that, he says. Sarah has a cow lunchbox, so she must like cows. He wanders through the card section, past cartoons of old ladies telling fart jokes and photos of wiener dogs making puppy eyes. He shows his mom a card shaped like Darth Vader with the tagline, The Force is Strong Between Us. He puts it back. I know this is about her. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. In a section called Romantic Love, he finally finds a cow. Just its face on the front, black and white, with wide eyes, a pink nose. Inside it says, I want to smooch. Oh, he says, closing the card. It's about kissing. They don't make Valentine's about holding hands. He vetoes a sparkly headband, passes on a personalized pen, never even considers a candle. For a while, he holds this stuff quick, cubic, but after listening to four verses of the Cupid Shuffle, he sets it back on the shelf, declaring, I don't want her dad to kill me. Instead, Austin chooses a box of Whitman's chocolates. What girl doesn't like chocolate? And a card with the winged pig, whose nostrils are shaped like hearts. I hope you have a happy Valentine's Day, says the friend. Inside, the pig flaps its hooves, saying, I squealy do. That will make her laugh, he says. Carrying her laugh is worth way more than the two hours of dog walking wages this will cost him. Do you think it's enough? Austin asks his mom in the car. Just chocolates in the card? I mean, I know I have to write my own message to her, too. That'll be the hard part. That's always the hard part. Especially when you're 11 and you really like this girl and you don't want anything from her except for her to like you back. Not even a kiss. Not really. Not yet. And you have no idea what to say or how to say it. And the only B you've ever gotten in your whole life was in writing. That's awesome. I love the ending. I love the... Uh, I was going to ask you about that because you could have ended on his sentiment, you know, that he the writing was going to be the hard part and instead you kind of wrapped it all together. Like, did you... Did you have that ending in mind, or just as it just felt natural once you got to that point? I thought about waiting for him to write something and using his words as the last words, but he couldn't think of what to write while we were there, and I had to get back and write the story. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know, a lot of uh, Valentine's especially, you know, are about, like, getting someone to be romantic with you or, or go to bed with you or whatever, and this little kid, he didn't want anything, but so if Austin had come up with the right words he might have been the ending I might have had a different ending <laughs> um, I did like that though and that's a great I mean that that technique of like recapturing because you, you basically summed up everything you brought it all back and you like put it all in front of everybody again it's like just to remind them the pressure that this kid is under before he writes his stuff but I think if I had longer time or more space I would have wanted to go to the bus stop and hang out with him and Sarah you know mm-hmm. but I almost didn't need to because it was so cute the way he created it you right know? I, I didn't need that I'll come back tomorrow you know and yeah and you and you get to see her through him like right. I never talked to her. Right. That. I did call him to see how she liked the chocolates afterward. <laughs> she was she did. Cake. She liked the story more than the chocolates. Uh, 
Um, so one of James's questions was uh, for you was, where do you look for these stories? I mean, so you, you do set out to look for shorter stories because sometimes you're looking for encounters. But by now, you probably have encounters in your head, too, is sort of like, oh, that's an encounter. Or, you know, you see something and, it's, and it strikes you as a small story. Yeah, and those things, sometimes they have to drop in your lap. You can't just go looking for them. You know, the, the ones that I go looking for are usually something that's pegged to a holiday or an event. Like, I did one off the state fair. Because I just knew I would go find an encounter at the state fair, and they got to cover the state fair. So why not let me write a little narrative off the state fair instead of, like, here's the latest, you know, fried Oreo sandwich. Like, I, went, I went and found um, a couple who was doing a guess your age booth. And uh, they've actually fallen in love but lied to each other about their ages. <laughs> so it was this really funny little twist. But I like really small frames. You know, if I can just find a moment and an hour or two to report it, I think it's easier to write an encounter for me. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm not expansive in my initial reporting. But I think you're also good at keeping an eye out. I mean, like, yes, sometimes they drop in your lap, but you're also looking for opportunities. I remember soon after I got here and Hurricane Irma hit and you had come up from the coffee shop and you said, I just passed a guy who's in who's who's just wearing socks and he had his shoes stolen in this at the shelter and I think I should go find him again because you thought, well maybe there's a cool little story there, right? Um I'm not sure everybody makes those connections, right? Like, you really do. You're on the lookout all the time for, like, okay, this moment might be something. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could turn me loose, and I could do an encounter a day. I think that they're everywhere. Or more, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of them are about quests, though. You know, somebody hoping to find something, somebody hoping to get over something, somebody hoping to accomplish something. Because then you have a really nice engine to your story that way. And I presume, I mean, you feel like some of these, some stories are just better suited to a to a tight frame. Because, like you said, you could do the definitive story about Austin and Sarah, but you didn't want to do the definitive story. Right. I mean, this was just that was enough. Exactly. Right. Um, so James wanted to know how a little talk a little about structuring a shorter piece, and is there anything special you do when you approach it? I try to find as tight a frame as I can. Um, I try In terms of time frame? Like uh, from, right. Like if you're going to be narrating a, a moment. Do, do an hour instead of a day. Right. You know, or do a day instead of a week or whatever. Um, I usually don't want more than three characters, and a lot of times I won't even name the other characters. I don't remember if I named the mother in this, but the characters are more like how they relate to the main characters. So usually there's just one main character that I want to kind of exclude and try to keep the lens focused on that that one person. I think mom was just mom here. Yeah. She's yeah. sort of the every mom. I think I might have put her name in and we took it out. But yeah, she's... Mom's she's nagging like the, about not spending all your money. Another one of uh, James's questions was, what do you think makes the best short stories? The best character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've done short stories on the, the places where the place is the character, you know, which is also fun. But I think having a strong character. You can't do it. You can't carry off a short story narrative without having a really strong character. Yeah. Um, and something at stake. Something, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the younger reporters have pitched encounters of like a scene, but if nothing happens and there's nothing at stake, right. it's not really a story. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 it's or something like this, which is like the Valentine story, which makes, is it's, it evokes this sort of universal we were all there once, you know. Yeah, a lot of, I think a lot of the best encounters are that, ones that everybody can kind of relate to in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, other writers you admire maybe that um, write short stories, or maybe they don't have to be reporters either. I don't know. 
I mean, fiction versus... Well, he's just asking if there were short stories, writers you admire who write short. One of the best ones that I remember from here that got like the most attention that might have even been what kicked off the whole idea of an encounter was Kelly Benham did a story about a rooster. And it was actually about, I can't remember her lead, which was so great, but it was like a little girl who was two years old was walking down the street with an easy bake oven and she got attacked by a rooster. And the story ran on like B7 or something, but it was such an amazing little narrative about the police blotter about a two-year-old getting attacked by a raging rooster. Everybody and their brother was talking about it, and it vaulted Kelly into national prominence, you know, with this one little moment. And she had just seen it. I think she saw it on a police blotter or something. It was like, okay, that's a story worth exploding, you know. That. So that was one of the first ones I remember here that was really small. Um, Brady Dennis, we mentioned him, but he, anything you look up of his at 300 words, I think one of That's them, what it was called, right? 300, 300 words? 300 words, yeah. And um, he came up with all those ideas himself. He reported them all and wrote them on a day. And there was one really fabulous one about a toll booth operator that I remember. Um, and they always had this little, like, surprise. Even in 300 words, you know, you could create a little tension and just give you enough fat story to wonder, and then there'd be some little surprise at the end. And, you know. I love Flannery O'Connor in terms of just short story fiction writing. Hmm. She's usually the collections I go to when I'm looking for inspiration because I just think she has an amazing ability to create a sense of place and character in very few words. Let's talk about Davion for a minute. So that story um, was about a little boy who had been in the foster care system forever and, and you know, was wanted to be adopted. And you ended up going with him or seeing him in church when he stands up and is making an appeal, trying to find a home. Now, that story, of course, I'm getting back to the difference with, you know, choosing to make it a short story as opposed to the whole life story of Davion and everything that he'd been through and all of that. I mean, you you captured some of that, but you did it in that moment. What, like, why? Because you just knew that that was going to be this, that was where all the tension was? It was going to be in that moment? I, I had been working with his caseworker for many years on other stories, and myself and a lot of other reporters had written a whole bunch of stories about kids looking for five families, you know. And I always tell these people who are my great sources, like, find me something different, you know. And this little guy was so frustrated that no one was helping him that he says to his caseworker, you know, what can I do to help myself? God helps those who help themselves. What can I do? And she's like, well, maybe you should go talk to God. And so she had kind of set up this whole trip to the church, and he backed out on it a couple of times. And so I told her, when he finally gets his courage up and goes, I want to go and be with him. So we sat with him. I mean, the church, the church service is like two and a half hours long, and his little piece was like two minutes long, you know, but we got to sit next to him through the whole time and kind of watch him sweating through it and watch him rehearsing and decide what he was going to say and watch him react to the Bible verses and stuff. And I thought, oh, this this is enough. Like, this one little moment in church is enough. We don't need to go back. I think he was 13 or 14 by then. 14 years of being in foster care, you can say that in a couple sentences. You know what I mean? And I really wanted to tell it through his perspective, not his caseworker trying to find him a home or some family in the church being moved. I, I wanted to get inside his head. And then back to framework, you really, you really tightened that frame. You didn't do two hours of church. You did him getting ready, being nervous, then standing up and giving his talk and 
right? Yeah, we actually had a lot more beginning and end. We had gone to the foster home where he was getting dressed, and we had been there while he was getting a pep talk from the group home manager. So we had a lot more before he got to the church. But I thought, let's just start the moment he gets to the church. His caseworker's trying to help him put his tie on. You know, he didn't know how to tie a tie. Afterward, a million families come up to him and love him and they wanted to help him. But I thought that it should just end when he ended. You know, mm. I, I didn't want it to be about the reaction. I wanted it to be about the moment. All right. On that note, uh, we hope we've answered your questions, James. And uh, if others have questions for Lane about any of these stories, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.